Good morning, Springbrook. It's a joy to be with you. And Gary's life has changed this week. Never to return. <laughs> yeah. So how you guys doing, huh? You guys are um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a journey. I don't know how you parents do it, actually. So we brought uh, we brought Caleb home last night. Um, he was in the NICU for 12 days, wow. and uh, yeah, he uh, he just had some issues. He came to a little early, and um, nothing scary. But uh, when when you're a new father, you don't know anything, and they're hooking all these IVs and heart monitors and all this stuff up to him. You're kind of just like, oh my gosh, what's happening to my little kid? You know, and so, uh, but God brought us through that and healed him up. And um, yeah, so last night was our first night with our beautiful boy and uh, he cried all night. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, can we take him back to that place? Congratulations, you've been baptized with Christ. Let's thank him. Well, that is so exciting to hear when a new baby is born. I think that's probably one of the most exciting things in life when you think about it. When we respond to other people, when it happens to us, it's like, wow, another miracle. Another miracle that God has given us and so you see it all over Facebook, and people are texting each other, and yeah, it is a celebration. I want to start out with a passage today from Luke 15. Jesus Christ uh, was teaching, and it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were also drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with him. Now, what was going on? You had the religious class, the religious leaders, the scribes, and the Pharisees, and they were self-righteous. They thought they could actually fulfill the law. In fact, they made a extra books, so they had more laws to follow. Of course, they weren't fulfilling the law, but they were filled with pride. Then you had the sinners over here, the prostitutes and uh, criminals and people who, uh, again, were not high on the social ladder. And Jesus Christ was spending most of his time with them. Now, there's all kinds of problems as for Problems like this with Pharisees. I'm thinking, okay, okay, he's a respected rabbi. So you don't go hang around sinners if you're a respected rabbi. And especially if you eat with them. Back in that day, eating with someone was much more than uh, just going over to McDonald's. (laughs) The idea was that if you shared food, with someone, you bonded with them, that you, you approved of them. They were your friends. So Jesus Christ is basically saying, these are my friends. And of course, that's why they're so ticked off. So he told this parable, what man of you having a hundred sheep 
if, has, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. So you got to assume that most of these guys are shepherds, right? And you have 100 sheep, and you've lost one of them. What are you going to do? Well, shepherds loved their sheep. They had a relationship with their sheep. They had names uh, for that sheep. This is talking about incredible love, that he would leave the 99 in the open field and he would go to search for just one, no matter how long it took. And, and they all understood this. Well, uh, you lost something. I mean, like a dog. We went to uh, Washington, D.C. a long time ago, and our dog was Rocky. Uh, we all love Rocky, and we had our sister-in-law in Union Grove. She was taking care of him, but she didn't close the gate. I'm not going to hold that against her. No. <laughs> so Rocky got out. Okay, a little... Uh, Boston Terrier, and he disappeared. And we had to come back from D.C., and we started to, you know, put all these Rocky posters up. This is in Union Grove, Wisconsin, just over the border on the east side there. And, and, and we just went out and we hawked everybody. We must have done this for two or three days. And we said, well, if he's alive, he'll show up somewhere. And I think it was like five days later, that he was found in someone's garage. You know, <laughs> I would like to see what his journeys were <laughs> during that time. But, of course, we were overwhelmed. We were filled with joy that we had found Rocky, who we thought we had lost. That's the kind of emotion that's involved here when they find that sheep. And I was like this picture, uh, the shepherd carrying uh, the sheep home. Luke 15, 5 and 6. And when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. I mean, this is an incredible celebration. Because he found his sheep, and they did as they celebrated together. And it was on verse 6. And when he comes home, oh, excuse me. Now, verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, who is he talking to? He's talking to the Pharisees. And the religious leaders, you guys are all self-righteous. I'd rather find somebody who knows that they have need, like the sinners. They knew they had a need. They knew that Jesus could help them. But what's interesting here, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. What does that mean? Well, it means that when you became a Christ follower, there was rejoicing in heaven. I don't know if they sung your favorite Christian song or <laughs> something of that nature, but it's a big thing when angels rejoice. 
There's only five times in Scripture that the angels are told to be rejoicing. And it's all at the beginning of something. Uh, when God said, let there be light, the angels rejoiced. It was a new beginning of the earth. And then, when the church was ushered in to heaven as a whole, well, that was a new be- that's going to be a new beginning uh, for uh, the church. So the angels rejoiced over that. And then, when Jesus Christ comes to reign here on earth, again, they rejoice. So there's two left. When else did the angels rejoice? They rejoiced at Jesus' birth. Right? Totally new beginning. And they rejoice at our birth, our spiritual birth. Now, we rank up there with Jesus, right? Am I talking about rejoicing? <laughs> because it's such an incredible new beginning. It's the purpose of the gospel. What God wants to see and, and the angels love to watch. So, friends, whenever you're with someone who has just become a Christian recently, saying, did anybody tell you that they had a big party for you in heaven? Yeah, it's true. It's in the Scripture. They had a party when Jesus was born, and they had a party when you were born. What does that tell us? That tells us that it, that is the most significant thing that can happen here on earth. Is that a person accepts the gift of grace from Jesus Christ. That's pretty special. And we need to realize that people, God is longing for people to come to Him. And when it happens, there is great rejoicing. I mean, you just think about it for a while, right? Okay. When a person becomes a Christ follower, they move from lightness or light, excuse me, they move from darkness into light. They move from bondage to sins that have plagued them all these years into freedom in Christ. They move from being dead spiritually, from being filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is within them. They move from having an eternity without Jesus to an eternity with Jesus. How big a change is that? We could go on and on and on about whatever, all the different things that happen when a person becomes a Christ follower. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, wow. And, and we celebrate as a church when we hear uh, this type of thing. We give our praise to God. But there's a problem. Just imagine if uh, Gary and Amy had come home yesterday and they said, you know, this baby's a lot more work than we thought. Uh, I didn't know what I was getting into. I mean, they didn't tell me about 12 days and, you know, waiting for the baby to mature. And I think we're just going to give it a break for a week. Yeah, and we need a break because we can't truly minister to our baby if we are weak. 
adult, you just leave the kid, you know, throw some bottles in there, uh, put a contraption together, you know, that can be fed on. And yes, we would never think of that, would we? Of course not. When a baby comes home, they are king. They control the house. They're the most important person in the house. Everyone beckons to every need. And what are they doing? They're, they're crying. And, and they're pooping. And they're sleeping. And they're eating. It's just the same thing all the time. But still, they are the very special person in that house. Think about driver's ed. How many have taught your children to drive? Raise your hand. Oh, it's an experience, isn't it? In fact, I was out here during the week and I saw Becky Atkinson, Bill and Becky, who's one of our elders. And Carolyn was out here with Becky, Carolyn's uh, the daughter. And I saw him and I see a lot of people using our church. Anybody use our church for driver's ed? Huh? Yeah, there's a lot of people that come out this way. So I, I, I kind of pulled the car next to the Atkinsons, and I said, listen, I want to help you guys, all right? So I'm going to be the mad, crazy driver, and you just have to be aware of me. And Becky <laughs> said, oh, we're not ready for that. <laughs> I wanted to help, you know? Now, again, are you going to take the attitude that when your kids come to that driving age, you're thinking, okay, I'll tell you what. You know, you got the manual. You can probably find something on YouTube about it, I'm sure. Just Google driving <laughs> education. So, yeah, that, that's good. I don't have time to take you out. I don't have time to give you different uh, insights in how to drive, you know, you go on your own. No possible way is that going to happen. Why? Because you want to protect your precious child. You also want to protect your car. <laughs> right? So you put time and effort into it. But the problem is, is that when a person becomes a Christ follower, what happens? I think in many of our minds, we say, okay, you know, I got them over the bridge, and uh, they can start coming to church now. All good. No. No. A spiritual infant is like a regular infant. In fact, the Bible uses that analogy of being a child spiritually and how we mature. And so you've got this spiritual infant and someone might lead them to Christ or something of that nature. And, and then they come to church. But for Pete's sake, these people need a nursery. Right? No matter how old you are, 73, 65, 35, 20, they need to go into the spiritual nursery because to learn how to fully embrace Jesus Christ and enjoy this life and fulfill His purpose for you, you've got to be trained in that way. Yeah, it's so sad because what typically happens is a person becomes a Christian and there's a, you know, 
and accelerated growth for a period of time, and then it just stalls out for years. There might be some of you here who became a Christ follower when you were a kid, and you stalled out. You know you stalled out. You know that you don't have a dynamic relationship with Christ, that you're not putting Him first. Now, you know that, but it really doesn't bother you. That really always <laughs> hard to understand. It doesn't bother you. Well, friends, that's why we need to be there. <laughs> My wife uh, forces me to watch Call the Midwife. Um, <laughs> you know, ladies screaming all the time. and uh, But it's a great show uh, set in the uh, early 1900s in England. But, uh, yeah, so you have the midwife there, and she helps the baby out. And then the nurturing uh, begins. And so I'm really excited about the fact, as we've grown in this area of discipleship, that when anybody becomes a Christ follower here at Springbrook, in fact, I just shared this with somebody this week, uh, you can go over into our conference room at 10 o'clock each week, and you can be discipled. So, no question about it. If you become a Christ follower, just come on Sunday mornings, 10 o'clock, and then at 11 o'clock you can come to the service because I've realized the importance of this. Spiritual infants are in great danger. Satan is on the prowl, and he'll do anything to throw them off track. Get him back with the old crowd. Get him back to other sinful patterns. Or following misteaching by maybe a cult. I've seen that before. So that's why when a, a new follower is born, you just kind of need to surround them and love them. And they're kind of messy, right? Remember when you became a Christian? A little bit messy. You're carrying a lot of baggage from the past. And, and sometimes, as disciple makers, we just need to be patient with them, right? Just You don't go into the bedroom and tell your baby, well, you stop screaming, man. Doesn't help. Push the bell. <laughs> we don't say that. Yeah, babies, babies are messy to take care of. And also our new Christians. Trevor, we want to disciple them. We want to help them to get established in the faith. In Matthew 20, 19, and 20, we see the Great Commission in terms of what we are supposed to be doing. The Great Commission of Christianity. Oh. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, who is this directed towards? This isn't just directed toward the apostles. This is directed to you and I, that we need to be disciple makers. We need to come alongside people 
and continue and encourage them in their faith. And for those of you who are parents uh, with younger children, uh, your responsibility uh, is the greatest. In fact, I think the greatest legacy you can leave in this world is children who are godly, children who are walking with Jesus, and children who are introducing other people to Jesus Christ. Far above anything more that you could do for your children. That is the greatest legacy. Now, how do you come alongside someone? Well, think about you guys, and how many of you have tried to brainwash your children into becoming Sox fans? Anybody out there? Okay, there's a brainwasher, brainwasher. Oh, of course you. Why are you still here anyway? Didn't I tell you? If you're not with us, you're against us. Okay. All right. Now, now how do you brainwash your kids like that? To be a Sox fan of all things. Well, like Bob over there. Oh, man, he's done a lot of damage. Uh, he continually talks about it. You know, Sox this, Sox that, Sox this, Sox that. And I'm sure when the kids were growing up, he talked a lot about the Sox. And, and his kids probably said, well, this is pretty, are all your kids Sox fans? Out of how many? Oh, you did it. He's a Sox fan, right? <laughs> well, friends, you know, talking about the Sox, uh, taking them to the games, right? Oh, I remember going to Wrigley Field when I was young. And it was like stepping into a temple. <laughs> it was just unbelievable to walk that way and... Uh, yeah, yeah. So, friends, if we are going to come alongside people to help them to grow spiritually like our children, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to talk about Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about it. prayers answered. We're going to talk about people who have been transformed by Christ. We're going to pray together. Uh, we're going to, again, come to church together. And make a priority out of whatever clubs, Awana and Kids of the Kingdom and and Thrive, uh, that we serve to help you disciple your children. And that is so important. And I just want to continue to remind parents that the goal in your life is not to make your child the best in academia or the best in sports or the best in dancing or the best in theater, things like that. Those are all good things. But your number one goal, you need to look at helping them to become strong disciples of Jesus Christ. And just take a look at how you're training your children. Are, is that really the main focus? And if it isn't, well, great, you can grow in this area and start to disciple uh, your children, which is so critical. John fourteen sixteen, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Helper. Interesting word. Parkalis. It's, it's the idea of coming alongside someone. It's just, the idea of of speaking wisdom into someone's life. 
You know, when we started out Disciple Driven, I uh, I had no idea what God was going to do in this church. Through the last several years, couple of years, you know, God has matured me in so many different ways. And he really has kind of changed the way I do ministry. You know, we've been event-driven for a long time. You know, it's all about events, and that's all right. But now we're moving toward being more people-driven, investing in people. The people are the most important thing, that we come alongside them and that we engage with them. Because I look at churches that I've been involved in throughout the years, and I, because of my knowledge and getting to know people and that kind of thing, I can tell people who are on fire for the Lord and some people who are just there to be there. And it doesn't change sometimes. And that's a real concern of mine. Because you see, if a person's really going to experience supernatural change, one of the main ways is talking one-on-one, one-on-two with ladies or, or men. Now, the small group, that's also a discipleship place, but this goes even deeper. And that's what we're introducing. In fact, when they told me how long it would take to become a disciple-making culture, and they said, three years. I said, three years? <laughs> I don't have the time. <laughs> I get restless when something is like a half a year long. Right? But I tell you, I've learned so much through that. Because if you're going to develop a culture of discipleship, if you, if people are going to come into this church, and if they spend, let's say, four months here, they will know that discipleship is our number one priority. That's when we've changed our culture. When we see people hurting, and I can call up a person, I say, I know you're a longsider. Would you meet with this person and, and minister to them? When small group leaders take one person out of their group uh, and they meet with them maybe once a month to encourage them, to help them. You see, it's in that, that triad, of a, triad of people that you can ask the hard questions. It's there where people will open up and say, I'm really struggling with this. And, and I tell you, it's such a rich experience because all the stuff that we're really struggling with, we typically don't talk about. We typically don't talk about it because we don't feel there's a safe place to talk about it. Well, we want to be a church that continues to set up safe places. So when I ask the Father, and He will give you another, the Helper to be with you forever. We have the Holy Spirit within us if we're Christ followers. And isn't that amazing? You know, it's like we're walking around the Holy of Holies. <laughs> God is within us, and He's a Helper. And it's that same type of word, parkosia, in the sense that a longsider is. So we're like the Holy Spirit, but the human version. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit convicts us of Scripture. The Holy Spirit uproots sins that we never thought could be uprooted. The Holy Spirit comforts us. The Holy Spirit encourages us. The Holy Spirit is God within you. And now you have the responsibility and the joy of coming alongside someone and being a tool of the Holy Spirit.
right? You say, well, I can't do that. I'm not a professional. You can only be practiced by professionals. <laughs> Friends, the whole early church was full of amateurs. Now, what's an amateur? Well, if you look at the word, it's a lover. Someone who loves to do something without compensation. That's what an amateur is. I am just praying in my heart that, uh, that our family would be fulfilled with a tremendous passion to reach lost people and then to disciple them. I tell you, this campaign season... It's been a circus, man. It's craziness. I've been watching campaigns for a long time, and this is a different bird, right? What's interesting is how many young people are getting involved. It's very encouraging, right? They're seeing the importance of their vote. Uh, they're seeing that they can impact the system, and they're out there, you know, um, cheering on different candidates, things of that nature. Well, friends, that's a passion I would love to see in our family. There's such a passion to reach lost people. There's such a passion to do discipleship that we all become pumped up about investing in other people. Because you have to have passion. And our vision statement is reaching and building passionate followers of Jesus Christ. We're so excited do that. We look at Philippians 2.15. It says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. I'm not sure. (laughs) Oh, that's a Greek word. (laughs) Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now friends, the true test of a disciple is How do they live their lives out? Not the content that that comes into their mind and things of that nature, but how do they live their lives out? That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. Uh, I'm supposed to say crooked generation. (laughs) I'm supposed to say crooked and twisted generation. And friends, hey, I think we're crook, crooked and twisted enough already. Now, you got to remember, though, that back in Bible times, their cultures were even more overtly sinful. So when we're crying about our country, let's go back to the New Testament churches, and, and they had it much worse. We need to reach people, and the true test is how that person responds in daily life. How that person responds in daily life. Oh, I might have cycled. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) I went too far. All right, 2 Timothy 2.2 is the core verse when it comes to discipleship. What does Paul say? And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, 
entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's our responsibility. If you're a Christ follower, you have a responsibility to teach other people. It might be in Kid City. We need more volunteers back there. That can be your discipleship. Or it might be in our Awana program. Or it might be in our youth program. Or it might be being a small group leader. Or being an apprentice. You're fulfilling the Great Commission. You're telling people so they can tell other people. I haven't, uh, <laughs> I haven't been this jazzed about ministry in a while. God has uh, refueled me. I know what the rest of my life is going to be about. is leading a disciple-making church. Not by the numbers. It's by individuals who have been transformed. I love you guys, and I just pray that we'd have just an exciting journey ahead of us. If you're interested in uh, being helped by a long cider, uh, you can talk to Rich or I. Uh, we're not ready yet uh, to go public, one might say. We've got a lot of long cider relationships going on, and it's getting so exciting. But this is what I want you to do. Take out that post-it note, okay, if the ushers could come uh, forward with pens, if you have them, or borrow a pen from somebody. Write down uh, your name, and then write down the name of someone that you would like to invite to Easter. Easter's coming up very, very quickly here. And again, it's an easy invite, and we're doing a series on the courageous uh, becoming a stronger family. We're going to have postcards here in a couple weeks. But start praying for that person. So... During this next song, what you can do is you uh, can stand up and just go. You see the three sheets over here and the three sheets over there. Just put your post-it note there. Okay? You don't. Have, you can say your name and then, you know, however you want to identify the other person. I don't want to put their name down, but I'm a friend at work or this type of thing. But we want to be praying for them. So the band is going to play underneath us. I'd like everyone to write that down and move and just put those on the uh, paper. Thank you. Standing here in your presence In a grace so relentless I am one By perfect love Wrapped within the arms of heaven In a peace that lasts forever Sinking deep In mercy see I'm wise Drawing closer by grace and all oh, my heart is yours. 
When I'm lost, you pursue me. Lift my head to see your glory, Lord. Oh, oh. So beautiful. Here in you, I find shelter. Captivated by the splendor of your face. My secret place. I'm wide awake. Drawing close, stirred by grace. And all my heart is yours. Oh, fear removed. Breathe you in. Drawing close, stirred by grace and all. 